From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. I'm really stuck on this. This is something I want and I've been trying to get, but I'm not sure how to get it. Today on episode 82 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Robert Grable. Robert discovered who his best clients are and how he can best help them. Now he has a simple structure to build and sustain his business. Stay with us to hear all the details. If you'd like to share your story on Going Solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Robert Grable. Robert is the president of Nonprofit Now Consulting and Coaching, which supports nonprofits and their leaders in maximizing their impact. With two decades in the nonprofit arena, Robert has done everything from launching his own charity to serving in senior leadership roles. Robert, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. It's great to be here. Uh, So, Robert, is a little bit of context. Uh, Where are you based? I am typically based in uh, southwest Florida and uh, been doing a little bit of back and forthing these days up north in Philadelphia as well. So, but I'm most of the time in Florida. Okay, great. Um, well, welcome to the show. So y- you have spent a long time in, uh, in the nonprofit arena. And what caused you to become an entrepreneur? Well, becoming an entrepreneur, I think, was always in my nature. And I just experienced that in a few different ways. And I'd say now is my most full exploration of it, if you will. And I'll explain that if that's okay. Out of college, I went into banking and finance and ultimately became a stockbroker. And in a sense, that's creating your own business. Way back in the 90s, if people remember those days, uh, I used to cold call people 300 times a day. And I actually loved it. Um, my job was to build a book of business. And, you know, so, you know, as you say, being an entrepreneur, that doesn't necessarily always mean you have to be on your own. So in that instance, I was with a large organization and under their umbrella, but still creating my own brand and my own business. And I loved doing that. I was lucky to have kind of a little bit of an awakening in 2001. I liked what I did on Wall Street, but I got married and my wife is incredibly passionate about what she does. And I really didn't know that you could be incredibly passionate about what you do. And I saw that and said, wow, I want that for me. And that really got me to the point of exploring new opportunities and a new career for myself. And that moved me into working as a fundraiser for a variety of causes. Again, still in the little entrepreneurial zone of being a fundraiser, helping nonprofits build and scale their work. But what I realized is that ultimately, I would get into an organization and coming from that sort of background of sales and prospecting, I loved getting in and, you know, kind of really push the envelope and seeing how, how successfully, how efficiently, how driven an organization, even a nonprofit could be around fundraising. Because what I would typically find is that an organization was sort of waiting for the prospects, waiting for a board member to connect and waiting for this, waiting for that. And I was like, why are we waiting for prospects? And so I would go in and I would help them sort of look at things in a new way. And quite frankly, there was usually a limited shelf life for that. And probably about five years ago, my wife said to me, you know, you probably would be better off and be a lot happier as a consultant. And I kind of wrestled with that until really about three years ago when I just said, now's the right moment. Um, A lot of things in our lives just sort of pointed to this being a distinct time to go out on my own. And, And I did. And it's been 
the best experience and the best thing I've ever done. So I'm, I'm so glad to have done it. When you did it three years ago, mm -hmm. do you recall the day when you said to yourself, I'm now a consultant? Absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely do. I was, I was serving as an interim executive director, sort of going through the same frustrations that I quite candidly had before, you know, kind of wanting to do things a little bit differently, wanting to kind of give, ex, you know, advice, etc. And finally, I said, you know what, this is not me being my best self. And me being my best self is not necessarily not being engaged in the organization, but being maybe a little bit of an outside voice that doesn't have to be right in the thick of it. And I said, yeah, it's, it's the moment. It's the moment to start consulting and see how I can add more impact in that way than being right in the thick of things and the politics and all the other stuff, you know, good and bad that comes with being a distinct employee. Mm. So you were still employed when you had that conversation with yourself and decided from now going forward, my path is consulting. Yeah, yeah. And and the funny thing is, um, at that moment, and really for the first, I'd say, six months, it was all about consulting. Because, you know, in all candor, having worked in the industry for 18 years, I'm not going to say I know everything, but I had done everything, as you said in your introduction, from launching my own nonprofit, working in some very large organizations, working in medium-sized organizations. And what you find is, irregardless of the scale, most nonprofits are dealing with some of the, most of the same challenges, board development, fundraising, um, leadership, things like that. And so I, I recognized there was a place for me in consulting. What happened was along the way, funny thing happened on the way, is that as I was working with organizations on things like board development, they said, well, could you coach us around leadership? Could you coach us on the, these other things? And kind of what evolved from that was seeing that there was this opportunity to be a coach to nonprofit leaders. And in all candor, initially, I didn't really know the difference between coaching and consulting. And I thought when I was, you know, hey, all I have to do is do things a little bit different and I'll still be, you know, coaching. The reality is, and, and this is something I often describe to new clients, consulting on what is one on, on one end of the spectrum. You're the expert and hopefully people pay you for your advice and your wisdom and what you've brought to the table. In coaching, it's the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, your clients are the experts on themselves. And my only challenge, my only job is to help them get to their greatness. And I love that. And so really, probably after a year or so, my business completely shifted, or mostly shifted, to coaching. I still do some consulting, but for the most part, it's coaching now. Mm. How far into your business was this? I'd say about six months into it, I started seeing the opportunity to offer coaching. Um, people were people were asking for it. People would sort of find. Here's what I realized: people would get stuck on what they say would be the how, like how do I do this? How do I do that? You know, how do I have a tough conversation with a board member? How do I lead an organization effectively? The truth of the matter is, and this is what I found, is that people rarely are truly stuck on the how. They're really stuck often in fear. They're often stuck in places where they're challenged with their confidence, they're challenged with their baggage, they're challenged with whatever they've brought to that moment. And that's why I felt like I had a lot more to offer as a coach that understood their context than simply telling them what to do. 
I hope that answered the question, which honestly I forgot a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So how do you help somebody overcome the fear? I think the reality, what I continue to find is that so many times, and myself included, we come to our work and our lives with a lot of stories, and the stories get generated from our past, our parents, things that sometimes are very convenient to tell ourselves, like, well, I probably won't be good at this because I've never had any, and this is something, you know, something I find so often, I've never had any true nonprofit education. Or, well, I didn't go to the right school, or I didn't, you know, do all the right things that other successful nonprofit leaders have done. Therefore, I am almost suffering from that imposter syndrome. And what what I try to help people realize is that you're in this moment, and you've come to this moment. And so many times I find, particularly with founders of nonprofits, people like us that are entrepreneurial, that you've successfully grown a nonprofit from nothing to wherever they are today. And you didn't do that by accident. You have inner wisdom, you have your own personal guidance, you have a reservoir of confidence that you're getting from somewhere, whether you're making it up or what, but you've gotten to this point for a reason. So it's helping people understand that those are stories and that they have the opportunity to create results from wherever they are. And uh, sometimes, you know, maybe sometimes that happens in one session. Sometimes it takes many sessions, but it's really opening up people to that recognition. Um, the other thing that I find so often, and I kind of alluded to a second ago, is what I also often call the Wizard of Oz syndrome. That's my own little phrase. And I've talked to a lot of nonprofit leaders, like I said, who may have not gone to the right nonprofit school, may have not gotten whatever degree they think they need or may not have whatever they think, you know, all the other nonprofit leaders have. And I remind them that if you ever watch The Wizard of Oz, you know, the cowardly lion starts off thinking he has no courage, the scarecrow thinking he has no brain and the, the tin man thinking he has no heart. And all along that journey, they exhibit those exact qualities that they say they lack. And then they get to the wizard and he gives them those sort of symbolic things like a heart on a string or a diploma or whatever it is. And, and I love to share with these leaders, they don't need someone granting them, you know, you are a great leader or the diploma or whatever it is. They've sort of created that greatness along their journey. And again, I think it's that recognition that sometimes just someone from the outside saying, look what you've done. You don't need to tell yourself that story anymore. You can let go of that. Um, that's, that's what I love about what I do, being able to wake them to that. What does it take to be able to be that outside guiding light that can help people overcome the fear and realize that they have all the ingredients that it takes to take the next step? Uh, I would boil it down to two things. One is what you are and two is what you're not. One, is, or excuse me, one is what you have, which is creating trust with someone. And the second one is what you don't need, which is to be the expert. I mean, for me, you know, people will maybe look at my, you know, resume or background and say, oh my gosh, you've been in the nonprofit industry for 20 years or whatever it is and be a little intimidated or something. It's like, no, that, that, that means nothing. In this moment, we're in a conversation and I'm somebody who may understand where you're coming from, but I don't know everything. But I'm here because I genuinely love that you're trying to make a difference in the world and that you're trying to do something that is coming from passion, from heart. And that's why I'm here. I'm not here because I have 20 years experience and I know it all. 
And as I said, the other piece of it is trust. Someone has to trust that you are there to help them, to be with them in that moment. And, and that's all it is. And the, and the reason I've come to realize that is because early on, I did, quite frankly, I did the opposite. And I think this is, I know you have different coaches on your show. I think that's sort of um, symptomatic of a lot of early coaches or new coaches. We come in and say, instead of just, as we like to say, sitting on the swing with someone or just being with someone, we're very eager to, to find the solution. But the real beauty of coaching, whether it's for nonprofits or anyone, is that I'm just going to say 100% of the time, your client knows the solutions and they're just blocked. And your only role is to help them get unblocked. So if you can do that, whether you've had 20 years of experience or a day of experience, you are valuable to them. Let's talk about that, because I know you have strong feelings about consultants who spend all their time trying to gain new skills rather than gaining clients and those who claim to be coaches but never have done what they're mm -hmm. coaching others to do. How do you look at your business and both in terms of what strategy do you use to position yourself to, to gain new clients and what position do you use, particularly when it comes to coaching, so that you are able to help them get unblocked? Yeah, great question. And I will sum that down in one word, which is service. And I will go on happily in my record as saying I thank someone named Melissa Ford, who is a phenomenal coach and phenomenal writer. And her book opened up my eyes to the way I think you can truly develop a prosperous coaching business, which is by being of service. And it goes back, by the way, to that other piece I said about trust. When I, first of all, if I encounter or find or whatever, however, however I connect with someone, the first thing that I do is have a conversation with them. I don't sell them coaching. I don't talk about future sessions. I want to get in their world and find out who they are, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to be. That's the most important thing. The second thing, if if it goes beyond that, is I will offer them anywhere between maybe two or three pro bono sessions. And the point of that is, and, and frankly, coming from a world where I was in sales and you know, sales were all about, you know, putting out an offer or making a request, then getting the rebuttal and then responding to it with some other, or excuse me, getting an objection, then, you know, offering your rebuttal, et cetera, et cetera. I was very schooled in the way of doing that. And the beauty of the way uh, Melissa and other people um, that have followed this sort of methodology create their businesses by being of service. When I say that, it means if I come to you, like David, if I came to you and said, would you like to be coached by me? I wouldn't say, and here's what I do, and here's how I coach, and it's really great, and here's my testimonials. I'd say, but you know, let me offer you the experience of it for two or three sessions. A, that's going to show you that you can trust me, hopefully, that I'm there for you. And B, you know, at the end of those two or three sessions, it's rarely going to be a question, a discussion about affordability or logistics or, you know, why do you coach this way? Why do you coach that way? What's your method? It's either going to be, wow, you've had an eye-opening experience, something has shifted for you, something has changed where you say, wow, I need more of that. I got to get more of that in my life. Or I've opened up your eyes to something new that you want to be or do or results you want to create. And so you move from that place of let me sell you myself as a coach to let me offer you the experience of me as a coach. And what I do when I 
prospect, which I do, and I'll talk about that in a second, is that's the offer, a distinct offer I make to anyone, which is, you know, if we have two or three sessions and you like it, we'll talk about what it looks like to work together professionally. If you don't, that's cool. You know, we then we've spent a couple hours together. Hopefully you've still taken away something valuable and something good. And maybe you'll tell someone else, maybe you won't, maybe you've just had a new insight, but maybe the moment's not right. And so that's, that's really, as, as, as I like to call it, my operating principle behind that. Yeah. So I hope that answered that piece of it. And I think to your other question of how do I, how do I create clients or how do I get clients really from one or two different ways? One, um, having worked in the, the industry for a long time, I have a lot of contacts and every day, quite candidly, I, uh, spend typically an hour and a half a day, um, inviting people to a conversation and that invitation on an email or a phone call sounds exactly what I just described to you. You know, you may remember me from X, Y, Z, or we've talked to, uh, together a year ago, whatever it was, but that invitation is the invitation. You know, I'd love to learn more about you and what you're trying to do as a leader. And would you like to have two or three conversations and see if there's something I can help you with? How can I, you know, is there an opportunity to be of service to you? So Robert, in your methodology of offering two or three sessions for free before you begin to charge for coaching, how do you determine who may be qualified versus who may just be tire kickers? Because one of the philosophies I use and I discuss with others about what makes a good client for a consultant or coach, I believe it's someone who needs help, knows he or she needs help, is willing to seek seek out the help, listen to the help, um, take action, and pay for the help. And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't check off all those boxes. Mm-hmm. And I find if they don't check off all the boxes, it's often really hard to help them. And as consultants or coaches, if you get too many of those people that are taking advantage of your time, you end up investing a lot of time in prospecting with people that really aren't going to fit as clients. What's, what's your thought about that? Yeah, no, I think it's a good point. I'll tell you the one thing that I don't do, or I would again say a shift from, you know, when I started doing this uh, a couple of years ago till now, one, one of the factors that I don't take into consideration, I'd say I don't, or, you know, is money or affordability. I don't look, I, I don't look at someone who let's say is a senior director at a, a nonprofit with, let's say a, a smaller budget than a, than a bigger nonprofit say, oh, well, they're not going to be able to afford my services. Because one thing I do believe is that when you open up someone's uh, eyes or mind to something they want to do or create, and that you're a person that can help them do that, somehow the money usually is not as big an object as you would think. Uh, particularly with the nonprofit world, there's organizations that can get grants, there's funds for leadership development, there's your mom, dad, uncle, best friend, whatever it is. The bottom line I've found in these past couple of years is that if you want to be coached and you're serious about what you want to be coached on, the money is not the issue. Uh, money is, as we, I guess I'll go back to that sales piece, often a smokescreen objection for just not being ready for change. So that's one, one thing that's not a big factor. The thing that I would say to your point, when I, when I see or look for a tire kicker or someone who's not serious, it's someone who, even in a first half hour conversation, doesn't listen very well. Or, or I would say, does almost all the talking and doesn't 
ask any questions. That that to me indicates that a <laughs> they really love to hear themselves talk a lot. B that they're not really interested in inquiry, and that they probably already believe they have most of the answers. I love it when someone says, you know, but this is something, you know, some of the watchwords I'd say that I do look for are, I'm really stuck on this. This is something I want and I've been trying to get, but I'm not sure how to get it. Or if I ask someone a question and they say, well, that, wow, that's a really good question. I'm not sure how to answer that. And they're okay with being silent for a little while and sort of thinking of the answer. Those, those to me are the signs that someone is a potentially great coaching client because they're self-aware enough to know that they don't know everything, that they are open to looking at things in a new way. And, and I don't mean taking my advice because not, that's not what I'm doing, but they're okay with not knowing. That's the key. They're okay with not knowing and looking down the road at, to a place where maybe they will. Yeah, that's actually a great explanation. Robert, we've covered a lot of territory from your own journey to how you have come to position yourself as a coach in the nonprofit arena. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed today or get in touch with you or take advantage of the way you do offer these conversations, what's the best way to learn about you, access any resources, and get in touch? Sure. You can go to my website, which is www.yournonprofitnow.com. That's exactly the way it says, says or spells, excuse me, uh, www.yournonprofitnow.com. And you are welcome and encouraged to book a half hour free consultation with me. And we'll do exactly what I just described here. If you'd rather send me a direct email, you're also welcome to do that. And the email address is robert, R-O-B-E-R-T dot grable, G-R-A-B-E-L at yournonprofitnow.com. And we will include those in the show notes. Um, and is there any special offer that you want to mention? Yes, there is a special offer. So I'm excited to share that I just completed my first uh, book, which is right now in Kindle form. And I'm proud to say my 25-year-old daughter is helping me with the, with the soft cover, and we're not quite completed that yet. But in the meantime, I would love to give uh, a free version to the first five people that contact me for that consultation. It would be my delight to share a copy of my book, and it's called Just Do the Work, The Portable Nonprofit Coach. And it's really about a 100-page exploration of, I would say, my entry into the nonprofit world to some of the key experiences and things I've learned, lessons I've learned around topics like fundraising, like board development, about, you know, if you're thinking of switching your career into nonprofit from the corporate world, I've got lots of information about that since I did that. And finally, I end by talking about some of the big trends that I'm seeing in the nonprofit industry. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for the offer. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on Going Solo and share your insights. My guest today has been the president of Nonprofit Now, Robert Grable. Thank you again, Robert, for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, David. Appreciate it. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today, we learned how you can build and sustain a coaching business and much more. If you'd like to share your story on Going Solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. 
Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them learn how to build a successful business after a late career job loss. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.